Welcome to the Victorian Parent Council VPC Parent Podcast Series. VPC is a registered charity organisation dedicated to everyone who support parents in educating their children. I'm Jackie Vanderveld, your host today. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to uh, this VPC Live. It's been a busy week. This is our second VPC Live uh, that we've had this week. And uh, my name is Jackie Vanderveld, and I'm delighted to be hosting this evening with Evelyn Field. Evelyn is a practicing psychologist and professional speaker. She's a best-selling author and media commentator and has been doing all of this for 45 years or more. Um, And I'd also like to acknowledge too that we've had a lot of feedback on our social media and people feeling, uh, expressing distress and and, uh, disappointment with the way in which the bullying issue has been handled by schools. And and I just want to acknowledge that, that we have read those comments and we do really understand where parents are coming from. Um, It is a very vexed issue. It's a challenge. And uh, tonight, Evelyn's going to be giving us some, some really good tactics and strategies that parents can, can use to assist their children. So, Evelyn, I'm going to hand over to you because if I kept reading out all of your the list of everything that you've done in your life, we've, that's all we would have time for. So, so welcome and over to you. Thank you. Thank you very much, Jackie. Right. So I'm a psychologist. I have an Order of Australia for my work with the school and workplace bullying. And I'm a fellow of the Australian Psychological Society. So I think probably for the last 10, 15 years, maybe a bit longer, I've only specialised in school and workplace bullying, nothing else. That's all I'm interested in. I do speak to psychologists. So in fact, I was in London about three, four weeks ago and spoke to the British Psychological Society for the second time. Why there was nobody else apart from a little old lady from Melbourne, I don't know, but that's the state of bullying around the world. I obviously speak to parents and I also do some speaking on cruises, which means I like switching from the very academic to the more simple and everything helps everything else. I'm just completing the eighth book. So I'm rewriting the school bullying book for the third time, the first time 99, then 2007. And this one, 2013, will be coming out in November. And of course, I've done quite a few webinars here around the world spoken to schools in China and et cetera. And I was uh, and still do a little bit of media spokesperson for the Australian Psychological Society. So I think what I want to do is just give you a very, very quick overview because I think your questions are important uh, because I think they're what's going on today. And you can always read up about this stuff later by Harry or by the school bullying book if you want to find out more. So we have to look at why does bullying happen? We have to look at the society, uh, the role the media plays. And I think the media has been great. I've had more attention about bullying from the media than from psychologists, teachers or schools. Uh, We have to look what's going on in family life today, what's happening in schools, the impact of the Internet, uh, the role of bystanders, what's going on with the target, what's going on with the bully. And of course, uh, we're not sure about the long-term impact of COVID. So these are the sort of things you can say, well, Evelyn, what did you mean by that? But I'm just going to brush over it right now because there's a lot to do. So why is bullying bad? Well, first of all, we've got four main types, physical, verbal, social, electronic. 
By the way, I know people keep telling me how bad electronic bullying is, email, uh, social media, blah, blah. And even 10 years ago, I was saying it's just another form of bullying. Guess what? During COVID, even cyberbullying went down. Why? There's no fun bullying someone online if you don't see them the next day at school. It takes all the pleasure out of it. So cyberbullying rates went down. Now, there are some who would say cyberbullying is a crime in Australia, and it certainly is, but it's we, we regard it as another form of, of, of bullying. Now, for girls and boys, the average is about 8 to 16 years when it will occur. Uh, it happens in all schools, big schools, small schools, private schools, state schools, traditional schools, boarding schools, and even your very progressive, you know, school with 30 kids where the principal says, oh, we don't have bullying here, and then I hear a horrendous case of harassment. Workplace bullying is a very interesting thing because I was speaking to a colleague in America who originally said, oh, 75% of people who are bullied at work were bullied at school. And I said, well, do you have any figures? And I can't find them yet. I'd love to find them. But she said, oh, okay, let's make it 50%. Hello, what are we talking about? 50% of kids who are bullied at school are bullied at work. If you know anyone who's been bullied at work, you will know that that's far more traumatic because you've got mortgages, you've got a family to support, etc. So we're not just talking about school bullying. We have to talk about the child's whole life and what happens in the future. So to me, bullying is about an abuse of power. It doesn't matter whether someone is shorter or taller or whatever. It's how that target feels. The target feels that they're powerless. And what is important is not what the bully did. It is not important, maybe to the lawyers who know nothing about this, maybe it's important to them or teachers for that matter. To me, as a psychologist, it's about the experience. We call it the lived experience. What is it like? Someone calls you a dickhead. Someone says you're fat. Don't play with us. Go away or kick somebody in the shins. You know, what does it feel like to receive those behaviours? And that's important because that's what injures the child. And what we do know, and the research is very clear the last six, eight years, is that bullying changes the brain. It has epigenetic um, ramifications. In other words, the whole structure of the brain can change. Okay, so I have a real issue about the advice being given to children. And it's wrong. Do nothing, walk away, tell the bully to stop. Number one, no clinical evidence. Number two, you ask a kid, did it work? Now, some of them will say, well, it did for a little while, but then they did it again. Well, that's no good. Imagine a, a washing machine that sometimes works and sometimes doesn't. No. And in fact, what happens is children show the bully that they've been hurt, that they're upset, that their game has worked. And that's not good enough. Now, why is bullying bad? It's bad because bullying says, you're no good. Get out of here humiliation and ostracism and that's what it represents and that's why it is so bad because we all need to be valued and we all need to be accepted and included and it's the same with a lion if you throw a male lion out of the pride he doesn't survive unless he finds another pride to join and same thing with children same thing with adults if someone says to you you're no good get out of here it's like everything that's important is, um, is really trashed. And that's the important thing to me, what it means to that child 
to be bullied. Okay, so everyone can be affected. We know that we have what we call a social brain. If you're interested, just Google social brain, Google bullying, Google trauma. They'll all come up within five minutes, which most schools don't bother doing. Most psychologists, most psychiatrists, most people don't even do five minutes of Googling of bullying and trauma. And there's tons of stuff out there now. So it is a neurological or epigenetic injury. It changes the brain. Number two, there are physical symptoms. And you as parents might know about them, the tummy aches, the headaches, I don't want to go to school. The psychological ones, the anxiety, the depression. We know some children want to harm themselves or harm others. I think quite a high percentage of the school shootings in America were from young people who'd been bullied at school and very angry. Uh, we know it affects um, children's concentration, learning new memory, what we call cognitive issues, and it affects their social life. So the bullied child is more likely to be alone at, at lunchtime, on the weekend, over the holidays, at camp. Um, and that's horrific because we all know we need to be with people. And many will say, you know, I'm not the same person. I was bullied at school and looking back, I changed. It does change you when someone says, or a number of people say, you're no good, get out of here. Now, some of the injuries are temporary. And I guess that happens when the child is validated and works out how they can deal with bullies in the future and they're made safe at that school or another school. And of course, that's a role for you as parents to validate your child's experience. Whether there's evidence it happened or not is irrelevant. It's how they feel because how we feel changes how our brain functions. In other words, how we feel changes our brain. But certainly there's evidence that being bullied at school can affect uh, your future life, whether you're, you have a greater likelihood of having psychotic illnesses, of uh, putting on weight, on having heart attacks. It is amazing the evidence that is out there. If you're interested, buy the book when it comes out. So unfortunately, bullying changes your childhood and therefore your adulthood. Because if you don't develop those skills of self-respect, self-esteem, uh, knowing how to get on with all sorts of people, nice people and not nice people, then your life is changed forever. Okay, now that's, I, I didn't give you five or 10 slides on the brain because of the time, uh, I probably could have, but I want you to think about what we see when we look at a normal brain and a traumatized brain, because a bullied brain is a traumatized brain. It is a threat to one's life. There are major changes, as you can see, even from this very simple uh, brain scan. So according to uh, Springer, the effects of constantly being bullied are more than just psychological. Research now shows that there may be physical structural differences in the brains of adolescents who are regularly victimized. And this could increase the chance that they suffer from a mental illness. There's also physical illness as well. Okay, according to Thormo Itso, bullying victimization can be considered a repetitive interpersonal trauma where reactions are understood within the combined framework of a developmental trauma disorder, that is, as they're growing, and a complex post-traumatic stress disorder. And of course, we haven't thrown in the impact of COVID, but that is certainly there. Maybe less for Australian children than American children, but I think to some, uh, uh, to some extent it is still there. That's a picture of Harry. So is bullying bad? Here are some figures. 
one in three children are bullied at school. Where did I get my figures from? UNESCO. 20 years ago, Ken Rigby, who's the school bullying guru in Australia, was saying one in five, one in six kids are bullied. And I think my first book said that. One in six children are injured by the bullying. Bullying injures the brain and normal development. We know it impacts on childhood and adulthood. And as I said before, more than half can be bullied at work. And that's unbelievably devastating. Now, here's an interesting figure. School bullying programs reduce bullying by 20%. So Ken Rigby and Braithwaite and others are saying the same thing. In other words, one in five children will be safe with school bullying program, programs, but the rest won't. So if you think of all the organizations, whether it's state or federal or voluntary, uh, who raise lots of money for these educational programs, uh, four-fifths don't work. And it's not the fault of the programs. As I said before, many adults don't know what to do and give the wrong advice. And I, I hear about teachers who did two hours of restorative practices on a Saturday, then bringing the bully and target together and thinking they can work it out together or something like that. I hear of parents ringing other parents and saying, your child's bullying my child. You know, all the stuff that's not going to work. Now, here was another interesting figure I found. There's very few therapies around the world for treating kids who are bullied. So if you find out your child is bullied, what treatment programs are there? If you had a child with ADHD, anorexia, it's easy to find lots of treatment programs that have a good evidence base for treating children who are bullied at school. Very, very little. And funny enough, very few trained therapists around the world. Because obviously, I uh, am writing the updated version of the school bullying book. I wanted to include a chapter on therapists, how, what therapists or counselors can do. And I had to look around the world, who else is doing it? What evidence is there? It's very little. But if a child goes to see a skilled psychologist, treatment's very quick, four to six sessions, it's nothing. Hopefully, Harry, the bully blocker, will do it just as well. So what's happening in families today? The sort of family we've got today is very, very different to the family we had 20, 30 years ago. I've just come back from overseas. I had a wonderful holiday. I spoke to the British Psychological Society. I met a few colleagues. But you go out and there's mum and dad and the children and everyone's on their phone. That's not how families are meant to function. You can be on your phone at another stage. When you're sitting around a table having dinner, you should be talking to one another. Mind you, when I was in Korea earlier this year, families just sit around a table and say nothing. But that's the culture. So I think it's important to think of what happens if you've got an Asian background or Western society background, maybe an African background, because we all function differently as families. What about the individualist versus the collectivist cultures? So we in Australia, we're all about ourselves, we're individualist, but other cultures are more about the whole, everybody as a family. For many, achievement is extremely important. And if you're a migrant in Australia, if you're from an Asian background, uh, certain uh, cultural backgrounds, it's very important to study hard, get into university. And others are just more interested in the quality of life. Um, social media has certainly taken over and taken away from family time. You know, it's so wonderful if you, let's say, go to a restaurant and you see kids playing with their parents 
with a card game or something else while they're waiting for their meal instead of on their phones. We've got the role models that are very topical, bullying in film, television, sports and politics. It's happening everywhere. Now, is this a good thing? Maybe it's good that it's, we're talking about it, but there is a role model here. And of course, naturally, there's bullying in schools from the board to the principal to the teachers, etc. So apart from worrying about what's happening with your kids, the environment that they may be learning in might be riddled with bullying. And of course, we've got legislation and legal guidelines. So in America, there's a lot of laws about bullying and they're very adversarial. And, uh, you know, it's, it's like a, a, a TV nightmare, to be honest with you. Whereas hopefully in Australia, we're a little bit more collaborative and a little bit more uh, respecting everyone's rights to a fair go. So what have we got? We've got bubble wrap kids. We've got the tiger mums. Uh, I don't do calm. I'm a Jewish mother, the overprotective mother, and of course, the helicopter mother. Um, so parents have really changed in the last 30, 40 years. You know, I, I was speaking with some people rec recently and they were talking about how come school holidays, the kids run, have breakfast, run outside, play with the local kids, and they're back by five for dinner. That doesn't happen today like that, does it? You know, you drive them here, you pick them up there, you mollycoddle them. So um, I'm not sure children are develop the, developing the sort of resilience they really need. Oh, of course, the lawnmower parent. So I think it's important to think about developing and your child doesn't develop until they're in their 20s. Their brain is actually changing. So what have we got? In the West, we value speaking out, standing out, expressing oneself. Whereas in the East, it's more about us and trying to fit in with everybody else. Now, that's not to say bullying doesn't happen in the West or the East. It happens both places. It's just different. So. The history of our parent skill, parenting skills. I, I was reminded recently about a story, and I don't know where I got it from, but I've been talking about it for many, many years. There's a story of a, a young husband and wife, recently married, invite their mother-in-law for dinner. And they get this beautiful piece of meat. And before the, uh, the wife puts it in the oven, she cuts it in half. And the, the husband, knowing how expensive this stuff is, says, why are you doing that? And she said, well, I don't know, but that's how my mother cooked the, the, the meat. So when mum came for, for Sunday uh, roast, they said, mum, how come you cut it in half? Said, I don't know. My mother did it, so I do it the same way. So in the afternoon, they go to the old age home and great grandma's still around. And they say, how come you cut the beautiful piece of meat, the filet into half? And she said, well, the oven was too small. And that's how we bring up our kids. We just do what we've been brought up to do, or we just go the other side. So if our parents were very strict, we're very laissez-faire, very easygoing. Um, but we really don't think, is this the right way to bring up our child? Is this the right way given our, our time, our era, our situation, or what our children actually need themselves? So this is a quote. I can't remember where I got it from. You can't raise your kids as your parents raised you because your parents raised you for a world that no longer exists. I'm not going to spend too much time, but the research is not very clear yet because we're not fully over COVID, are we? But we know 
the, the pandemic has affected children in, in many different ways. The schoolwork, their social life, those special days like graduation and uh, special events, many of them missed out on it. Many of them didn't have the support of their friends. Many found it hard to go back to school. And in fact, I think that's one of the reasons why we have more homeschooling now. Uh, I'll talk about Charlotte later. Of course, increased media use, we're just so used to it. And I mean, all of us are on Zoom far often than we did, far more often than before. And of course, in some families, there was more sharing and caring. And unfortunately, in others, there was more abuse, which in itself is very damaging. So I think we have to change our attitude as parents. As Charles Darwin says, it's not the strongest of the species that survive, nor the most intelligent is the one most adaptable to change. In other words, the only thing permanent in life is change. So we have to reset. And I want you to think about the sort of child you want, that they can adapt to change, they're motivated, empathic, age-appropriate independence, socially adept, manage mean or nasty people, that they can use help and feedback, and of course, that they're healthy. And you might also add to that, that they are compassionate human beings, which the world certainly needs. So according to Larea, both victims, those who bully and bully victims, were more likely to be exposed to negative parenting behaviour, including abuse, neglect, and maladaptive parenting. Positive parenting behaviour includes good communication of parents with the child, warm and affectionate relationship, parental involvement and support, parental supervision, and those were protected against peer victimization. So what does it mean? And this is really a very distressing signpost, is that you as parents create the environment for your child to either become more resilient or less resilient, deal with mean, difficult, nasty kids, or be abused and bullied by them. So I think the first thing you need to do is say, what can I do uh, to help my child deal with all sorts of people as they go through their lives? So what can you do? A new pathway. You've got to remember that schools might have some really good programs, but they're not able to implement them. There are many reasons for this. It might be the school doesn't have the money, the time for consistent programs. They've got other priorities. Uh, and teachers are absolutely overburdened at the moment. Certainly not treated well. The rates of bullying amongst the staff, teachers in the staff room is one in three, just like kids, one in three. So you might talk about your child being bullied, but I bet if your child's being bullied and there are many others being bullied at school, there's bullying in the staff room. And it can come from the principal, the board, or teacher to teacher. I don't think schools will ever be able to provide that environment where everyone feels safe. So you, as a parent, need to take a stronger role. Because let's face it, when your child leaves school for the day or for good, there's bullying on the roads, there's bullying in the neighbourhood, there's bullying at home, and they'll be guaranteed for most of us bullying in the workplace, unless we know how to deal with it immediately. And I think you as parents can develop bully-blocking skills. So what does your child need? A positive connection, love and compassion, good role models, feedback, and age-appropriate consequences, as well as age-appropriate responsibilities. Now, 
This is something I've come across recently, and it's called nunshi, and it is a Korean term, South Korean term. And it's, it's actually called eye measure, but it's the ability to listen to others, to fit in with others. I'm sure you've all been to a situation where you're talking about, you know, growing the roses or how you make a chocolate souffle and someone comes in and wants to talk about their own stuff. And you think, well, hello, we were just in the middle of a conversation. It's about reading the room, knowing where everyone else is at, trying to blend in and then maybe saying what you want to say. So. You've got a role as parents, love, respect, compassion, twice weekly lunch or dinner chats, uh, where you're together as a family laughing and joking. This is what happened 100 years ago. This is what we all did. This is the natural way. What we have, you know, someone eating a dinner at the bench or in front of TV or jumping in and then jumping out to football practice, that wasn't the normal way, and it isn't. Family meetings, at least once a fortnight, learning how to discuss, negotiate, agree, mediate. So it's good practice for the children when they go into school or the workplace. Children need boundaries, consequences, responsibilities. They need to become more emotionally and socially resilient. You need to help your child build their social network because they need that to survive. None of us survive very well without our support network. And of course, you've got to manage conflict at home, no bullying. And that doesn't mean being scared of one parent. It means everybody uh, discussing in their family meetings how they will deal with issues with greater respect and compassion. Now, Charlotte is helping me promote Harry. And after COVID, she decided to homeschool her children. And uh, we meet in the day. Why not at three or four o'clock? Because she's taking her children out somewhere to socialize. And I think this is extremely important that children have that opportunity. But it's different seeing some kids after school once or twice a week than being with them from nine till three every day. It's a very different relationship. And I urge you to think very seriously about when is a good time to send your child back to school hopefully a nice school, because it prepares them much better for their social life and for their work life. And let's face it, we will be at work far longer than we are at school. And of course, you need to teach them the basic social skills. And you might say to me, well, what are they, Evelyn? Well, that's the next book I'm writing. But there are some of the hints in the school bullying book. So if you're managing a bullying situation, you've got to realize that there's lots of perspectives, lots of witnesses, and listen, get the whole story, understand what your child is, where they're coming from, whether it's they're a target, a bully, or a, a bully target. Show concern and empathy. Oh, that's awful. How did you feel? What did you do? Try and understand why they're vulnerable. And there's usually a reason. Maybe you've been moving house. Maybe there's a potential suicide, uh, sorry, a potential divorce in the family or someone just died or dad's got, had business problems or mum's got a health problem. There's usually problems why, reasons why children are more vulnerable at a certain time. I, I saw someone a few years ago who was being bullied at work and I've heard recently that she was having problems with her brothers who were real bullies to the family. And I think, ah, this is so interesting. I didn't know about it at the time. No wonder she was vulnerable. 
um, teach your child skills. The bully blocking skills are very easy or refer them for therapy and um, make sure that your role models teach them how to deal with people in a more democratic, collaborative manner and find out what can their school do or not. Now, some schools might be able to adapt to their needs and some won't. You've just got to accept the schools as they are or find another one. But it doesn't matter because you can find the skills to teach your child to block bullies. They're not hard to learn. Okay, so what are the bully blocking skills? So many years ago, I developed this model and it's about understanding your feelings, your anger and fear, because if you show your anger and fear, you make a bully happy. Find out why you're feeling this way or why they're behaving that way. Valuing yourself because bullying makes you feel rotten. So it's so important to build your child's self-esteem. Teach them communication skills, verbal and nonverbal. And I must admit, a lot of children are very poor communicators. They're like Harry, who was a grunter, if you know what I mean. Then you've got to empower children how to deal with all sorts of bullying, whether it's physical bullying, verbal bullying, uh, social exclusion or cyberbullying. And then you've got to make sure they've got a support network. You and the family, uh, people or teachers at school, senior students, uh, friends or mates or neighbours or cousins, they can't feel alone because that's awful. That kills the brain. No, they've got to know that there are people around who can help them deal with a difficult situation. Oops, again. So when we talk about feelings, we're talking about our fight, flight or freeze instinct. And what we need to do is understand that when our survival instinct, our fight, flight or freeze instinct is triggered, that our brain is going to start changing. So we've got our reptilian brain, which is the basic instinctual brain. We've got our limbic brain where we feel things. And then we've got our prefrontal or neocortex, prefrontal, where we have to think, What's a sensible way, right? So all the kids say, oh, your hair looks so stupid. No, I like wearing it this way. Well, hello, what would, do, what would happen if you didn't wear your hair this way? Ah, then they wouldn't bully me. Well, you've got a choice. How about a little bit of sensibility? You know, I mean, you could even go so far as saying, oh, hello, carrot tops. No, carrot tops are green. My hair is red. Um, so I think it's about saying to your child, Yes, it's upsetting, but what's a reasonable, rational way of, of dealing with it, including not making the bully happy? So, yeah, your gut instinct and then your rational thinking. So I think it's very important to teach children that your feelings are very important. That's your survival instinct. You know, if we didn't get stressed about doing homework, we'd never do anything. A little bit of stress is fine. It's when it's too high that it can become a danger. So I teach children or adults to identify their feelings, to quantify them on a scale of naught to 10, and then to release them. The next thing we talk about is communication skills. And I find many children are not very good, particularly Australian children. But one of the most important things to say is the word I. I'm feeling upset. I don't understand why you make fun of my um, my school uniform. I don't know why you get pleasure out of calling me fat and dumb. Would you mind telling me? Have I done anything to uh, upset you or annoy you? Could you please tell me and give me some feedback? 
And then what happens is that the child can assess the feedback because quite frankly, many kids are bullied by kids they hang around with and they think, oh, this kid cares for me, but they never say, do you really care? So of course, oh, we'll go back a bit. What happens is that if you say, I'm upset that you call me, you know, a dickhead or an idiot, then the, the bully has two options. Either to say, well, big deal, I don't care what you feel, or sorry, I thought you thought it was a joke. And then the target has to say, why am I hanging around a kid who bullies me and doesn't care about me? I'm going to stop lending them my biros, potato chips and whatever. And what you should be saying to your kids is, well, then hang around kids who care about you. So managing dogs and horses. And this is what I want you to start thinking about. When you feel anxious, stress hormones are secreted into your bloodstream, cortisol and adrenaline, and they create physiological changes to get you up and running and protecting yourself, right? But a dog can smell your sweat and other chemicals and your body language. So if a dog smells your fear, it becomes more scared and angry and he might end up attacking you. <laughs> Hello, same goes for dogs, No, uh, for bullies, no different. They see your fear, they see your reaction, they think, oh, I'm in a bad mood because of what's happening at home. I can pick on this target who will make me happy. So dealing with bullying, if you look at uh, websites on dealing with bears in Canada, um, yeah. They tell you to put up your hands and face the bear. If you run your breakfast, lunch or dinner. On the other hand, if you see a kangaroo, you've got to run away. Otherwise, they will attack. And there are stories, as you know. So dealing with bullying, you have to say, what's the appropriate method for this situation? So dealing with cyberbullying, there are many websites and schools are providing a lot of training for parents on how you manage cyberbullying. I'm not going to spend too much time on that. Physical bullying, uh, I think that physical bullying usually starts with verbal bullying. And once you deal with the verbal bullying or teasing, then the physical will stop. But if that's not possible, I would report to the school or to the police. It's against the law, it's vile. Exclusion means for some reason, your child A is not using the right communication skills in this group or that group has outgrown your child. So your child might be wanting to play games and the girls want to talk about boys. Well, that's fine, find another group. So I think exclusion is about your child learning how to do, um, how to socialize differently, whether they need to improve their skills, their appearance, et cetera, to join the group they want to join or to find a group that is more like them and probably nicer. Okay, that's the power hand exercise. Basically, if a child who's being targeted fights back, then they give away their power. If they don't fight back, the bully will fall on their face and become embarrassed, which is very funny. Here's an example of some verbal retorts. I have a lot more in the book, of course. So um, you're fat. I know, I love to eat. You're fat? No, I'm not. I'm, I'm enormous. You're an idiot. Could you please explain? You haven't given me an IQ test. You're an idiot. Oh, well, I should have had Vegemite for breakfast this morning. You're an idiot. Well, my brother's the brain. I'm not. I'm just going to make lots of money. No one likes you. Oh, thanks for the feedback. No one likes you. Yeah, life sucks, doesn't it? Etc. You're gay. Well, what do you mean I'm gay? I'm, I'm dressed in school uniform and that's not very colourful. Well, what do people do when they're gay? 
In other words, one can play games with the words in a very neutral way. And this is what you can do as a parent or what your child will do with the therapist to say, how am I going to stand? How am I going to look? How am I going to come across when I deal with a bully? So that the bully can smell my powerlessness. Okay. And here's a wonderful thing, the neutral or square smile. You know, um, certainly I see it in some of the movies today. Uh, someone's being really nasty and you say, thank you for telling me. In fact, I was in a shoe shop recently and a, a lady came up and just interrupted the um, sales girl that I was working with to ask her some question. And I put on my best square smile and said, excuse me, we wait here. Yeah, it worked. Uh, here's another thing for some of your shy children, fake it till you make it. Isn't that cute? I just love it. You know, sometimes we have to pretend that everything's fine. It's almost as though we put on a mask, we put on a costume, and we go into a role. Oh, so we've done that. Now, cybersecurity, uh, things are changing all the time. It's a real nightmare. And I, I don't think we can just think about cyberbullying, the scamming, and the all the other things that go online. You, as parents, it's your job to keep an eye on it and find out what your kids are doing. And please don't tell me that you don't want to interfere with what they're doing in their bedroom. Believe you me, if the rest of the world can look, so can you. You must find out what your children are doing online. You must supervise them, whether you do spot checks or whatever. Otherwise, take that all away from them. And it's the same thing with organizations. If you're talking online, they will say this is recorded for training purposes. And the same goes for you. You must know what your children are doing. There's nothing private about what they do on the internet. It is just too dangerous for that. And I don't want to bore you with some of the horrific stories I've heard. Okay. So now I want to talk very quickly about my bully blocking method. And it works for me, hopefully for most of your children. So Harry the Bully Blocker came out last year. It is a very small little book. Only took eight years to write based on Harry, who was a real dog, and based on the therapy I gave my clients and many years of training to the Australian Psychological Society, Vietnam, China, etc. So what's it all about? Harry was a real dog. There's Harry. Uh, he was a papillon. And um, there he is with my grandson, who's now a big little boy. And there he is under his favourite tree. And there he is with Buffy, the other papillon, both wanted to claim a position on the chair. So he inspired me with this story. He came into this very office one day and Buffy was already in here. And uh, Buffy said to him, yeah, go over there. And Harry just said, talk to the tail. And if you know anything about papillons, they've got a beautiful bushy tail. In other words, speak to the hand, I'm not involved. So I thought, wow, if a little dog of three and a half kilos can block bullies, so can kids or, or adults. There's a picture of Harry. He, he moved very slowly. And this is a picture. I think we can get him moving. You see, Harry, very slow, measured little fellow, pedigreed dog, but didn't show. And there's Buffy. She's bigger, taller, and feistier. She was the boss of the family. Okay. So now we move along. So the cartoons and the story mirror the real Harry. There you are. There's Harry. And there he is with his glum picture. And there he is at the end with his little tongue hanging out because he's happy. So 
here's an example of some of the poetry in the book, and we thought poetry would work better. Some dogs pick on Harry. They say he has a different face. That's dumb. There's nothing wrong with coming from another race. So we tried to be inclusive. They don't realise that bullying causes pain. And if it goes on for too long, will actually harm your brain. So what I've done is brought in the up-to-date psychological theory, evidence-based, into the book to tell parents and children what can really happen when you're bullied. So what it really means is that we've got a survival instinct and we are told to walk away, do nothing, which doesn't work because we actually show our distress. The bully knows if you walk away, you look upset, you go red in the face or white, that they've scored a hit. So we need to teach children how to use their smart brain or their prefrontal cortex and learn different ways of blocking the bullies. So now, and so basically it's about Harry who goes on a journey, goes to sleep, goes on a journey, and animals along the way show him the basic skills, eye contact, body language, st standing up straight, and things to say, and then how to start making friends. So all the basic recipe, how you block bullies, is in the book Harry the Bully Blocker. This is a sample from the audio book. And it's using a combination of Asian music and Western music. Harry, the bully blocker. A sad poem with a happy ending. Author note, Harry the bully blocker can help anyone who feels like a bullied child. Learn how to block bullies and build important social skills. It can be used by parents, teachers and therapists alike. Please beware that it may trigger very painful feelings for the bullied child. Harry, the bully blocker, chapter one. Harry is a papillon. That's French for butterfly. He's a small and handsome dog and a gentle sort of guy. Children love to cuddle him. We know this without doubt. And Harry likes it too because... Here's a little tongue peeps out. Now, I'm sorry, I'll it's a... move on because of time. There's a sample on uh, uh, Audible if you want to listen to it or just download it. So your goal for your child is to block bullies, be happy and have good friends. And then everything else fades. Their self-esteem goes up, they try better with their work and their physical health improves. So... I've cut out a lot, I'm sorry, but we're on a strict timetable today and I think your questions are very important, but I want you to think about learning some skills from Harry and where else children can use those skills because they can use exactly the same skills now or later on. So somebody said, what age group? Well, it's from eight to 55. The people I see in my office who are badly bullied at work should have read Harry and used the skills. So now bully blocking, that's what the next version will look like in uh, November. And uh, that's the way Harry looks. And now we've got time for some questions. Fantastic, Evelyn, wonderful. <laughs> I wish I'd read your book. <laughs> I went through, me too. Me too. <laughs> I went through a horrific workplace bullying uh, episode, so I could, I certainly could have done, could have done with uh, with your with your help. I think, um, folks. Before while Evelyn's taking a sip of water, um, you'll notice in the chat that I have put up the links 
for Harry the Bully Blocker and also for, for the actual book that you can purchase and also for Evelyn's um, about Harry the Bully Blocker as an audio book. Um, we heard a little bit of the, we heard a little clip from that uh, tonight and uh, and look out for the new one that's coming that'll be on in stores from November. So Evelyn, we've got some questions. Have you had a, had a chance to have a sip of water? Oh, yes, 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 yes. It's Japanese tea, which is lovely and cold. <laughs> even better, even better. Um, now, you did mention this, but uh, uh, but I think it was more in terms of if there's bullying, if children are being bullied, then it's likely teachers are also um, being either bullied or are the bullies. So, uh, and I know this came up in the in a lot of the social media over the last few days. What action can uh, parents take when it's the school teacher who is the bully? So, so I mean, this is really very hard because, um, you know, the fish rots from the top down. If the principal and the board uh, don't care about uh, student, uh, sorry, uh, teacher welfare, they're not going to care about student welfare. And if a, a, a principal cares about his staff as well as the kids and parents, he's going to have a more collaborative uh, management style. Whereas if he adopts a more adversarial uh, style, like the case that was in the paper today, I just heard a bit of it, that some Jewish children um, were called names and the school or the education department has been made accountable. Now, he obviously ran a very uh, probably arrogant and adversarial sort of school culture where this thing was allowed. Whereas if he listened to everybody, he would have taken action and said, this is not acceptable in the staff room or in the classroom. So as a parent, I would be saying, if this is the school my child is at, I'm going to move them to a school that will listen. Because if you can't listen to children's feedback and parent feedback, uh, you just don't know what sort of abuse and violence is going on behind the scenes. Uh, good, great response. I would, I would say exactly, exactly that. I, experience, experience tells me that too. Now, Evelyn, I was in a school last week, and uh, the school was telling was was talking about a family that had moved schools numerous times because of bullying. And uh, so, is changing schools due to bullying? Is that the way to go? Now, it was it was talked about in very inflammatory and dismissive way. I have to say, and I. I did pull them up on it, but I'm really interested to hear what you've got to say about that. Well, I've changed a little bit because bullying can cause PTSD, a post-traumatic stress disorder, which means it changes the brain. I don't like the idea of a child suffering. So whereas I might have said to a child, uh, let's see if we can teach you some skills and if it's still, you know, going on, move at the end of the year. Then it became a term. More recently, I've said, just get out. Don't go back. You can't put a child back into the war zone because it's too traumatic. But on the other hand, bullying is at every school. So you need to give the child some skills to deal with bullying at the next school if, if it does happen. And funny enough, sometimes it doesn't happen, but the child thinks it's happening. So maybe the children are joking around like brothers and sisters do and don't mean anything harmful, but the traumatised child will imagine that they, they're being bullied again. Yeah. So I think it's a combination of get them out of a traumatic situation and teach them the skills uh, over a period of time. And it depends how badly they've been injured. And I, I hope you're surprised by my using that word. It is an injury. Bullying is an injury. 
in the workplace, it's a workplace injury. At school, it's a school injury. And we have to see it as such because it changes the brain. It physically changes the brain. And then there are psychological uh, ramifications, social, etc. Oh, 100% definitely yeah. changed after that experience, that's for sure. And that oh, was sure. as an adult. So, that's you know, right, yeah. So I think... I think it's important for parents to say, my child is not happy, I've been to the principal, I've talked to the counsellor, and they're not prepared to budge. Fine, move them out. Don't leave them in that situation. Yeah. Don't leave them there. It's continuing the trauma. Absolutely, yeah. So here's a good one now because we get a lot of people saying the definition of bullying. So uh, how can we help teens or, or even young ones to young ones distinguish between bullying and teasing? So when's the crossover? Well, I put them all together. It's all about an abuse of power. If, if you call me fat and I'm sensitive, then you're bullying me. If, if we're just playing a game of footy or basketball and you say, oh, you're a rotten shot, and, and we're all laughing and joking, I'm not going to worry about it. But it's the impact on me and the abuse of power. Um, so teasing is a form of bullying, just like cyberbullying, physical bullying, uh, etc. I, I just see it all as bullying. I think it's the worst, though, uh, because the words stay in your head forever. You know, I remember uh, as a child going somewhere and someone talking about my fat behind. It wasn't at school. It was outside of school. But that never left me. The words never left me. The words are really a killer. And so I think we've got to really make sure that we deal with with those words and teach children how to deal with them. I mean, let's say, and can I swear for a minute? Go for it. So someone says, everyone, you're a fucking idiot. And I say, oh, come on, I've heard that before from you. My brother is far more creative than you. Do you think the bully is going to think, oh, I did it? Or dumbstruck, embarrassed, which is what we want to see. And we don't want the bully to want to fight back again. We just want them to be embarrassed, not know what to do and move off. But the funny thing is, is when I tell, I ask kids, well, what happens when you can block a bully? Oh, the bully might leave me alone. Or I ask, or they might want to play with me. And then we're on to another big issue. And that is kids need to respect kids to play with them. They can't respect them if they're a, a good target. And sometimes kids are just checking out, oh, can they handle me or not? Because all kids can be difficult. Oh, yeah, that was a good reply. I don't like that one. And that you, you get respect. So to me, dealing with bullies is just a step towards making friends, getting respect, feeling good about yourself, having a good social life. It's essential. You have to deal with it. And in a big family where we had 10 kids and, you know, uncles and aunts and cousins and everyone living around, like in villages around the world, unfortunately, villages that are underwater now, uh, people learned how to live with that. But where we live in our isolated boxes and we don't see our extended family and we don't have, our parents don't have many friends over and we don't go to the same camping ground every Christmas and Easter, then kids don't develop those social skills. So we've got to work a lot harder at it, folks. I think that's the, the message, isn't it? But it is a skill for life because when we have friends, the world looks so different. It sure does. And, and those of us who could be with our friends and family during COVID, you know, I even waved to friends. I met friends behind shops because I was close to my friends because of the, the radius that I where I live. But many other people were very lonely mm. and it hasn't ended.
No. And it, a lot of damage has happened too, I think, hasn't absolutely. it? Absolutely. But when you have your social network, I know my grandchildren, you know, they they go to a school and they meet kids from the school at the local playground. Mm. They weren't in the same class, but they all played footy together or something else because they had those social skills to chat to them. And I know they talk to their cousins, they play games, roadblocks or whatever. And they were constantly socialising. And in fact, I must admit, I think I did more socialising over COVID than during the rest of the year because we made arrangements. Yeah, exactly. You know, coffee, behind there, going for a walk, in front of, behind of. We played all sorts of games, but we were lucky. Those of us who could have friends within that five-kilometre radius, the others suffered badly. They did. But there's lots of there's lots of wonderful ways, I think, that you've given us tonight that we can actually, you know, stop those. It's really flummoxing the bully and making, giving a circuit breaker, isn't it? So it's... Uh... Absolutely. Do you mind if I take another minute of your time and read back the last chapter, last chapter? Next day, he went back to puppy school. As he walked upon the grass, he looked around and there they were, the mean dogs from his class. He remembered to act cool and calm. His worries are his alone. The mean dogs want him scared. His fears must not be shown. He stood straight with good eye contact and wore a nice square smile. He didn't shake or jump around, just used the neutral style. When they started teasing him, his retorts were simple and clear. He remem remembered some wise words and said, Fancy that, really? Oh dear. What happened next was that Harry checked the bully's feedback. He was worried they'd be angry after his neutral comeback, but they looked stunned and surprised. They couldn't even scoff after Harry blocked them. They were quiet and just moved off. He knew at once that it had worked. Those doggies were dismayed. They had no answer to the clever game that he had played. There you are. So simple, simple story with a very complex uh, group of evidence-based theories behind it. So if any parents listening want to help their children, just read the book with them. There are questions at the back to be answered. Listen to the audio book. Uh, much cheaper than seeing a psychologist. And unfortunately, many psychologists don't practice alone in this area. And I won't say what they do, but it doesn't help the child not in the skilled, long run. Not as skilled and targeted. <laughs> yeah, that's right, yes. So there we are. Now, do we have to finish or are there any last questions? No. We, you have, as I would have expected you to, because you're, you're such a consummate professional, you have actually answered all of the questions in your presentation and in our subsequent discussions. So, Evelyn, can we just please join me in thanking Harry and Evelyn? <laughs> uh, a wonderful presentation tonight, Evelyn. It's really useful, very practical yes. and, very, and really very simple. So thank yes. you so much for your time. We've thoroughly enjoyed having you with us tonight. Pleasure. If any of you have got friends who are complaining about their kids being bullied at school, I'd encourage you to get them to um, listen to it. Uh, I've obviously done lots of other webinars like this, some as this period of time, some a bit longer. Uh, you know, I've actually done one on Harry, the book, which is a, good, a longer one and fun to listen to. Um, but it's all about teaching your children how to have social skills for the rest of their lives, not just at school, to deal with nasty people, to build self-respect, get respect from others and develop good social skills because then everything is much easier in life. Terrific. Thank you so much, Evelyn. It's been wonderful. And folks, um, we, we do need your feedback. 
Uh, so I've got in the, in the chat a link to our, our survey, our feedback survey. That helps us with information so that we can uh, bring wonderful speakers like Evelyn uh, to you through our VPC Live program. Uh, so we need, we need that information and feedback from you. So once again, Evelyn, thank you so much. It was a wonderful, <laughs> wonderful presentation. Great to see you again. Yes, lovely to see you too. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. Have a great evening. We'll see you soon. Bye now. Thank you. Thank you to our guest speaker. We hope you enjoyed today's topic. Want to know more about this podcast and other VPC podcasts? Please visit the VPC website, vicparentscouncil.vic.edu.au and leave a review. We would also welcome you to contact us if you would like to be our guest or if you have a topic around parenting and education. Thank you to Melbourne singer Emma Sydney for her permission to use her soundtrack, Cherish. Until next time, thank you for listening.